Welcome to DIA Today, Democracy in America Today. I'm Matt Parks alongside Dave Corbin. Glad to have you with us to explore the ideas behind today's headlines. My lift, I seize pollution. Those dirty fuels are burning. The Earth's whole climate's churning. Clean energy solution. My ride, I scans the bill. Fossil fuels are cheap. Wind and solar too steep. Drill, baby, drill. So first day of school in the books, Dave. No, first uh, first day as a uh, head of school, K through 12. Uh, first time also addressing uh, kinder through second grade students. So who I think may be an easier audience than than college students. But it was it was okay. fun. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really uh, something else just to see like little ducklings, you know, when they met their teacher, just like following right. out and and in and yeah. per, perfect line. Yeah. Something happens along the way between the age of five and, and 18, where it's, yeah. it's not that easy uh, to have them follow you. But um, yeah, it's pretty neat. I, I, I told a couple of people that, you know, you imagine if you were at a place for 12 years and to be able to see the transformation and growth in the little five-year-old up until when they right. graduated, it would make um, that commencement, you know, that much more um, something to cherish. So yeah. Uh, knowing, knowing a kid for 13 years, and uh, never mind the fact that uh, we're blessed to have Eliza and Jack here at the school as well. So all, all good. How about how about you? How's New York City? Yeah, good. Well, we started as well at King's last Thursday, which wasn't the best day to begin, the day after the big storm came through. And so we actually had to start remotely with our first day of class, quite contrary to our plans and hopes. But uh, faculty, very flexible. Students, very flexible. Staff figured it all out. You know, we've, I guess we've gotten good at this over the last year and a half, although there were some pretty harrowing tales of people trying to return home from convocation last Wednesday night. And uh, one, one guy on the faculty had to spend the night in a commuter train and had his train turn around and had to spend the night in a hotel and lots of basements and ceilings and, and things like that. So it, it was, it was tough and people were, you know, in some cases are still recovering from that, but uh, amazingly through all that, we've had a pretty good start to the semester. So we're very thankful for uh, God's care and, and grace through that, even through the, the difficulties. Great. And our big football draft on, on Monday, which also happened to be my anniversary. So I got a little bit of um, uh, criticism for, for doing the fantasy draft on, on, on uh, but it was raining. There were thunderstorms. So you know, okay. we, we couldn't go out. So I had, a, had an okay. excuse that way. You, but, you managed. Uh, yeah. I yeah. didn't realize we were making you uh, make that choice, but Okay. I'm glad you navigated it successfully. And I, you know, I think your team came out pretty good. I, I feel all right about where I landed. We'll see. Last year, I felt good coming out of the draft. And then my two of my first four picks basically missed the whole year with injuries, um, managed to figure it out through the waiver wires and, and get a good team by the end. But, you know, the, the draft always seems so important in the moment. But when you look back on the year, it's often the case that your best players are ones you picked up along the way. We're matched up this first week, so we'll get an early test to see which sure. team's stronger. Uh, they're projecting me for a big win by almost two full points. So basically, it's in the bag. I, I assume you're still going to play, Dave, but I'm not sure what the point is. That's right. I don't know That's why they play a game on Sunday, right? Never know. Well, why don't we turn to our required reading? 
And we are moving along in book two of the politics. Today, we're looking at chapters seven and eight, Dave, as, as Aristotle takes up a couple of more theorists of the ancient Greek world. Yeah, so building off of what he had written on Socrates' proposal to have a community of wives and a community of property in Plato's Republic, uh, Aristotle takes up the, the offering of a person that we don't know much about uh, named Phileas, uh, who suggests that really to solve the problem of politics, to solve the problem of human affairs, there's a simple solution. It's The solution is equalize property. So if everyone had private property, but everyone had the same amount of private property, then everyone would get along. And what would happen is you would have an end to faction as we know it. And it's a really interesting proposal because it, I think it, it asks us to consider does everything really rest, all, does all tension in our political communities, does it rest upon the uh, disparity uh, of uh, property uh, amongst people? So if, if you got rid of this haves and have nots and, and everyone kind of had the same, so there would be uh, no, no thinking that someone has more than me. Uh, would you then be able um, to, to solve uh, the political problem? And of course, Aristotle has has a problem with this. And, and his problem, as he explains in chapter seven, is that there's more that moves us than simply property, uh, that we are moved by our love of honor. Uh, we are moved by uh, our, our love of wisdom. Uh, we are moved by a variety of things. So it's not simply property that defines us, but there are other things that define us as human beings. What do you make of, of, of both the proposal uh, put out there by Phileas and Aristotle's um, rejection of it in chapter seven? Right, well, I think the first point on the desire to equalize property, of course, is a, a common proposal to one degree or another, at least in our contemporary politics, and has been for the last 150 years. You can take the extreme versions of that and in Marxism, obviously, that involves transcending private property altogether, uh, but maybe more mainstream progressive proposals that go back 100 or 120 years, where an effort to focus on income inequality is, is really a prominent part of our politics. So I think this is one of those issues where you know this, this proposal is something that's, that's very live and, and lively today. And I think Aristotle gives us a nice critique of it. And what I would say is really a, a conservative critique in the broad sense uh, recognizing that human nature is not driven merely by desire for property, that our differences are not entirely grounded in that. And, and on the other side, that if you were to equalize property, uh, not everyone would be satisfied with that, that there would be a sense on, on some people's part that uh, they deserve more than, than an equal share. And so as a matter of establishing a peace, right, if we all had the same, there wouldn't be the the necessity of, of comparing myself and finding myself wanting, looking at somebody else, but I might still have an idea in my mind that says, yeah, but I actually deserve more. I, I'm working harder than this person. I'm more talented than this person. I, I've done things that merit a greater measure of success. And whether that's um, just my subjective view that's perhaps colored by my own personal interest or whether that's maybe more objectively the case, uh, nevertheless, the, the rivalries, the factions, the divisions that Phileas is trying to transcend would, would reemerge under different colors. Well, it's kind of interesting too. I mean, you can do this thought experiment. Say you 
say you began, so you, you, you focused on this proposal applied to the United States. Uh, if you look at the net worth of all households and nonprofits in the United States in the first quarter of 2021, you come out to $137 trillion. So that's the overall wealth in the country today. And if you were to divide that $137 trillion by $340 million, what then would every individual have within the country? What's $137 trillion divided by $340 million off the top of your head, Matt? I'm, I think about 400000 You were the math major in college. Didn't know you were going to be quizzed today, did you? So basically, that would give every individual in the country, so every family of four would now have $1.6 million. So that would be all of their assets, whether it's their retirement, their houses, what they had in their bank, et cetera. So that's day one of this thought experiment. What happens day two, Matt? People start to trade. People start to buy and sell and engage in economic activity. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, that balance begins to shift. So you might have within a week... Right, some people with five hundred thousand, other people that took some of their four hundred thousand and spent two hundred thousand of it right away, and they have two hundred. So, you'd have to have a mechanism within uh, this this um, dis equal distribution, whereby on a monthly basis you were bringing things back to that even number, uh, which, which shows you, you know, how impossible this is to do. Um, and I think what what it also shows you, right, is that there's a problem here. Uh, when you solely focus on property, because there are other things that move us, other things that um, that make us do what we do within our, a political community, that make us do what we do within life, that our sole focus is not simply on property. Yeah. And again, I think to go back to maybe different categories of, of human sin, um, envy is the kind of problem that you're trying to address by equalizing things, but there's also the problem of pride. And Again, people are not satisfied with equality if they think they deserve more than equality. So you can get rid of envy and, and all you do is create new faction and division based upon pride. Yeah. And I think another thing that's, that's going on here is it's, it's oversimplifying politics. And what I always do with my class is I said, you know, there's, there's a truth, right, that the fall shows us about politics, about human nature. But if all you did was define human nature and your conception of politics along the lines of the fall, then you'd have half the picture of human life. But you can make the same problem. You can have the same problem from the other direction. Just look at politics simply uh, from the perspective of redemption, but not recognizing the fall. What, what true sight about human things requires is, is the recognition that, yes, we are fallen, but we can be redeemed. And I think that um, this, is, this plays easily into the property equation, because what, what someone like Phileas is trying to do is he's trying to suggest that the reason why there's a lack of peace within the political community, the reason why there's, there's a fall is because there's inequality of property. And then he proposes right? An earthly redemption based upon equalizing that property. But, but the reality, right, is there's so much more to the fall, right, than simply the issue of people having more than another. And there's so much more to what true redemption is than simply an earthly mechanism that can solve all things. Right. And it, you know, it brings me back to the opening line of de Tocqueville as he talks about the equality of conditions in the United States. And that was an equality of conditions that didn't come about through some artificial mechanism forcing the equalization of property, 
but through some basic laws that encouraged over time the division of large fortunes as say if you have three or four children then you give them an equal share rather than forcing the fortune to remain in the firstborn son's hands as you would in an aristocratic kind of community but there were there were a few basic laws that that created the context for a, a dynamic uh, society that that tended toward equality uh, that tended to reduce the extremes because often those extremes are, are not the result of, of market forces, but the intervention of government, that government action that creates monopolies or preserves monopolies for individuals or certain businesses actually is where the extremities come from often, or efforts to aid the poor that might trap them in poverty and make it difficult for them to, to escape that condition over time. So I think one of the things that Aristotle is pointing us to here more broadly is just the complexity of these matters. And like you were saying at the very beginning, there's just no silver bullet for solving the problem of human faction and division. And, and even if you were to solve one dimension of that problem, you're very likely in doing that to create a whole bunch of other problems that you haven't anticipated and that perhaps may be worse and create deeper and more permanent divisions in your community. Yeah, and Aristotle will, will give a, somewhat of an answer on this question of what to do with property uh, about halfway through this chapter seven. He said, you know, what remedy is there uh, when we're dealing with property? And he said, for the one, a minimum of property and work. For the other, moderation. And for the third, if certain persons should want enjoyment through themselves alone, they should not seek a remedy except in connection with philosophy. So this minimum amount of property and work moderation, and then an outlet in philosophy, which in the American case, the case that you just described in Tocqueville, would be uh, the outlet in uh, faith. So you do see kind of uh, all of these things coming together in the American model in the 17th and 18th century. As you said, naturally, they're not kind of uh, put into place by legislation per se, uh, although there are mores that are formed and that are conditioned uh, by having certain rules of life. But People are basically working and doing the things that they need to survive, and that produces a type of peace in and of itself. And then on the next page, he goes on to say that also important in this whole equation is that, quote, those who are respectable by nature will be the sort who have no wish to aggrandize themselves. So there needs to be a certain modeling by the leadership class also to make uh, this, 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 um, this work in terms of uh, unequal distribution of property. Well, let's, let's move on then, take up the second proposal in chapter eight, and it's, uh, it's produced by a man named Hippodamus, uh, who um, we had to get a sense, you know, was a real person who uh, was kind of a flashy sort of individual. Uh, Aristotle says that um, he had, um, he, was, he was an overdone manner with long hair and expensive ornaments, kind of like you, Matt, like, you know, uh, this Hippodamus kind of reminds me of kind of an, an earlier Matt Parks in his 20s. Yeah, I mean, the, the first time I read Aristotle's politics, this guy really drew my eye and I thought that that's that's the life I want to live. So, you know, I've, I've had to mature a little bit in the years since, grew the beard in, in place of the long hair. But yeah, I mean, Hippodamus was was my model for quite some time. Yeah, I just I do wear the same cheap and warm clothing, regardless of season. I mean, there, there are things here that he describes that what I mean, that was Matt as a young man, but cheap anyway. I don't know about the warm. Yeah. OK, good. Well, um, the, the character, uh, kidding aside, the character of Hippodamus is, is an interesting one. He, he, he strikes me as an individual um, and we know individuals. Like, I have an answer for that. What if we just do X? 
And, and um, you know, what we really need to do is we need to change the optics of, of this situation. We need, it's, a, it's an easy division of we'll take the city, we'll make the number uh, 10,000, we'll divide them into three groups. And, and then uh, it's, it's this political consultant that has kind of an answer for everything, as long as you can master the optics uh, of a situation. And, and I think what, what Aerosol comes up with at the end is that this type of individual who's trying to kind of manage politics through optics is going to encourage a, um, a transience to things whereby uh, laws change from one to the next, uh, uh, from one year to the next, uh, and there's no stability to the uh, political society. So uh, a different offering than in chapter seven, but one that still has uh, problems. What, what do you make of Hippodamus's uh, proposal and Aristotle's response to it, Matt? Yeah, well, the idea of politics being about optics is, is so prevalent today. I mean, I think it's just striking how much of the political analysis you read in, in mainstream outlets is, is just about that. Right? It's about perceptions. It's about, well, how, how do you manage this problem, right? Afghanistan's a disaster. So we're going to try to pivot to talking about the economy because we think the economy is a better narrative. But leave aside the fact that there are hundreds of people that are left behind in Afghanistan who are actually in, in danger of death. If, if Americans aren't focused on that, we're okay. We'll, we'll just move on to the next issue and hope that something else will catch their eye. And of course, you can be successful to a certain degree in politics that way. Unfortunately, our attention spans are short and we are too easily distracted, but it's such a cynical view ultimately of, of politics and really quite contrary, obviously, to the model of living well that is at the heart of Aristotelian statesmanship. As you use prudence to guide a community toward its best version of itself, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, appropriate virtue for that regime. This is anything but that. And it's, you know, it's a kind of sophistry that that Plato and Aristotle set themselves against consistently over the course of their philosophical careers. And so I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strong critique by Aristotle. And as you say, this, this kind of instability that results from this is another thing we see quite commonly in our politics today. The, the idea that longstanding traditions, the filibuster or nine Supreme Court justices, these are things that, you know, in the convenience of the hour or for the sake of some a perceived important political exigency have to just set, set by the wayside and you know we'll we'll see what happens but no doubt it'll be fine because the good thing that we're aiming at through that will be so important that whatever we lose in the stability of our political order will be unimportant in comparison i think there's a again another kind of important conservative insight on this that says no you 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 meddle with the laws carefully recognize that stability is, is a feature of, of a legal regime that, that lasts and that provides peace and order. And this kind of approach that we see critiqued in chapter eight leaves us in a very precarious situation. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that one of the things that Aristotle is getting across here is the, the importance of organic change, right? right. That, that we always have this temptation to want to innovate uh, because we can make something better, but, but beware those innovations maybe to the benefit of the of the innovator if they're trying to gain attention to themselves so we go back to this idea of changing optics but will not be good for the community itself so i i think that the this proposal we we, we learned by the end of it the reason why aristotle is so harsh on hippodamus uh, hippodamus's proposal to innovate in such a way is about hippodamus you know gaining honor uh, he says uh, further into the chapter 
concerning the matter of those who discover something advantageous for the city, to legislate that they receive some honor is not safe, though it sounds appealing. It would involve harassments and it might well happen changes of regime. So it really places the focus on what's good for the innovator rather than what's good for the regime, what's good for Hippodamus rather than what's good for Hippodamus's city. Uh, and in doing so, I think this is, and this is, I think, a, a good sign of, of what's wrong with our politics today. There are a lot of people who talk because they want to be on TV and they want to stay on TV and they want to make large sums of money sounding like they know what they're talking about. But at the end of the day, if all of their focus is on their innovation and their optics, then we're not going to get a type of politics that is along the lines of an Aristotelian statesman. Yeah, I think that's just uh, unfortunately a, a problem left and right today. This kind of celebrity political culture that's emerged, whether it's on you know your MSNBC and, and Fox News evening programs or it's Twitter and the, the spats back and forth. Uh, but there's all this effort to raise one's profile and doing that by saying provocative things and speaking to one's political or ideological base and, and sort of drumming up energy and enthusiasm in that way. And, and, and of course, in order to keep that enthusiasm and energy going, you've got to keep moving. We'll wrap up the discussion for today there. Next week, we will wrap up book two as we finish this consideration of of other accounts of the best regime. And then we'll begin to, to work through Aristotle's own positive account beginning in book three. Now let's transition to De Tocqueville's crystal ball. Uh, reminder, we record episodes on Wednesday morning. So it's a couple of days between when we record and when it's actually published. And so that's why we don't always comment on the, the latest news item. But we also want to emphasize that today because we are making these NFL predictions before the first game has been played. So we don't know whether the Bucks or the Cowboys will be 1-0 after tomorrow night's first game. Uh, so Dave, we're looking at the AFC and NFC East. Uh, last year, you recall, the NFC East was historically bad. Every team under 500, Washington football team was 7-9, Giants and Cowboys 6-10, Eagles 4-11-1. AFC East was historically different after the Patriots Long, long run at the top of that division. They were only seven and nine. Uh, the, the Bills won the division at 13 and three, Dolphins 10 and six. And of course, the Jets were horrific, which is why they got the number two pick at two and 14. So we're going to make our predictions for those two divisions. And then we're also going to talk quickly through our playoff predictions all the way to the Super Bowl. So, Dave, why don't you lead us off with your calls for the AFC East? So I think that the the Bills will will take the division as hard as that is for me to say. I think that they just have a great organization, um, a great coach, Sean McDermott. Uh, they just uh, they're coached well. They don't make mistakes. Uh, they're the type of team that is really hard to beat in the regular season. And I think, moreover, they have in their quarterback Josh Allen, uh, Brett Favre 2.0. So I think that they're going to win a lot of games. I'm going to put them at 14 and three. Uh, the Patriots, I believe, will be competitive in the division. I think that uh, they'll probably win one of the two games against the Bills. Uh, but I think, um, moreover, they'll, they'll, they'll get a real good surprise by Mac Jones. I think they'll see that uh, he really is um, uh, going to be an outstanding quarterback. And I think that offense will be able to do 10 times the amount of things that um, it did last year, which, which wasn't that much. I'm not sold on, on the Dolphins. Uh, I think Flores is a great coach, but I think more than anything else, um, I, I'm not sold on their quarterback. So 
it'll be interesting to see as that progresses, whether Miami will be um, getting ready for the Deshaun Watson um, uh, quarterbacking the team in the future. Uh, and I think the Jets are just um, three, four years away. Uh, they had a horrible roster, so it's going to take a while for them uh, to to get in a better position. So, and they're, they're real, I think this is one of the stronger divisions in football. So I put the jets at uh, three and 14. So bills, 14, three Patriots, 11, six uh, dolphins, seven and 10, and then the jets three and 14. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I got the same order as you. The record's a little bit different, but not very different. Uh, I've got the bills one fewer win at 13 and four. I agree. Josh Allen's great. Very strong offense. Defense is solid. I think they're strong contenders to go all the way. Uh, Patriots definitely better. I think there's going to be some rookie up and ups and downs with Mac Jones. There's no question about that, but I think he's going to be a good quarterback, strong defense. So I have the Patriots at 10 and seven dolphins, eight and nine. That'll be a disappointment coming off of last year's 10 and six, but I agree two is just not going to be enough for them. And jets, I'm a little more optimistic at five and 12. I think Zach Wilson again, will show that he's a solid NFL quarterback, but there's just a, big talent gap that they've got to fill. And like you say, it's going to be a few years before they can do that. Yeah. One thing I'll say about all these quarterbacks that, that got drafted in that first round, I, I think that what's going to happen is we're going to have kind of a repeat of that great draft that took place in the early eighties where yeah. it was Marino and, and um, three or four others who just came out all at the same time. I, I think all, Lawrence is great. Wilson is a terrific quarterback. I think Trey Lance is going to be a great quarterback. So I think it's exciting and that these guys will probably have the chance to play sooner than later. And, and we saw last year with Joe Burrow, right, that if, if you really have the talent uh, and you're put in a situation where you have some pieces around you, you can win games. So Yeah, and Herbert as well um, yeah. had a great rookie year. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a possibility we're going to go five for five, which would be good for the NFL. So how about the NFC East, Dave? I have the Washington football team uh, taking the division uh, at 10 and seven. I've almost had them in 11 and six because it's such an easy division. Uh, uh, Fitzmagic, right, as they call him, is on his ninth team. Um, I think he's just proven over time that uh, as long as he can throw deep downfield, uh, he's going to win three or four games on his own. He's going to lose one or two as well. But uh, I, I think that um, they, they take the division. I think the Cowboys will be better this year with, with Prescott back. Uh, their defense can't help but but get better than it was last year, and they have a new coordinator and a couple new pieces. So I have them uh, tied with the the Redskins uh, for the division lead, and then That's just the, at the football team. I think you meant did I did I say yeah? So the football team exactly. I have the Giants at four and thirteen, and the Eagles at three and fourteen. So it won't be a a good season for uh, Philadelphia fans. And and uh, my neighbor next door, my CEO. <laughs> Mike Zavada will uh, will not be happy about that prediction. He'll, he'll he'll as soon as they win ten games, he's going to remind me every game over three that they won. So, well, I I see it about the same at the top. I've got Washington also at ten and seven. Yeah, I think you know Fitz Magic always makes it interesting. They're going to be more exciting team for sure than they were last year. And there's some great talent there: Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel. So. I think there's going to be a lot of fun things happening on offense in Washington. The defense is great. I think there will be inconsistency enough that they won't be a, you know, a 13 and four type of team, but I think a strong division winner Cowboys, you know, Dak is back, but the defense is still really bad. So I think they're going to struggle a little bit. Eight and nine is what I'm projecting for them. I have Eagles at six and 11. So not quite as bad as you, uh, the, the Jalen hurts Devonta Smith combination, I think will develop over the course of the year. Uh, my son is a really big 
Jalen Hurts fan, and we've got uh-huh. him on our fantasy team. So we've got to see him perform. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be a great season. They still have a, a talent gap they've got to fill in. And the Giants, likewise, you know, Daniel Jones is just not the answer. I think they're going to be drafting their quarterback next year. I'm going to say 4-13 and 13 for the Giants. So now we have uh, all of our predictions made. So I'll, I'll go with the, the seven teams, I think, in the AFC that I, I think will make the playoffs. I have a Buffalo at one, KC at two, Steelers three, Titans four, Ravens five, Patriots six, and Chargers seven. And in the AFC, I have the Patriots pulling off a wild card upset over the Steelers. Uh, Kansas City beating the Chargers and then the Titans uh, defeating the Ravens. Uh, that would leave us with uh, divisional games where the Bills beat the Patriots, the Titans beat the Chiefs, and in the championship game, the Bills move on to the Super Bowl by defeating the Titans. How about you, Matt? Yeah, well, I've got a pretty similar list um, in terms of the, the, the seven teams in the playoffs. The only one that's different for me is I've got the Ravens rather than the Steelers. I do have the Chiefs as the first seed with Bills second, followed by Baltimore, Tennessee, Cleveland, New England, and the Chargers. Uh, Wild card round. So I I also have the Patriots pulling off an upset, this time over the Ravens. Uh, Titans beating the Browns and the Bills being the Chargers. Unfortunately, like you, I don't see the Patriots getting past the Bills in the divisional round. So Bills beat them, and then Chiefs beat the Titans. But the Bills, likewise, I, I see going to the Super Bowl over the Chiefs. So it'll be exciting in northern New York. That's right. So we both have Buffalo going to the Super Bowl. Yep. Well, in the NFC, uh, I have the, the Rams at one, the Vikings two, the Washington football team three, uh, the Buccaneers, a disappointing fourth seed, uh, Arizona five, the Cowboys six, and the Saints seven. In the wild card round, I have the Vikings defeating the Saints, uh, the Washington football team over the Cowboys. And the Buccaneers um, defeating the Cardinals. Divisional games, Rams over Tampa Bay and the Washington football team over the Vikings. So I really have Fitzmagic working some magic. Serious magic, yeah. Some serious magic that runs out in the NFC championship (laughs) game. Aaron Donald has a way of doing that. Uh, The Rams defeat the Washington football team and go on to the Super Bowl where they'll play the Bills. How about you? Yeah, this is where we have some differences. I have the Bucs as the number one seed. Uh, Rams second, Packers third, Washington fourth, followed by Seattle, New Orleans, and Minnesota. Uh, in the wild card round, I'm, I've got the Rams over the Vikings, Packers over the Saints, and Seahawks over Washington. And then in the divisional round, uh, Bucks and Rams win. Bucks over the Seahawks, Rams over the Packers. Sets up a Rams, Bucks championship game a reminder of the super bowl from a couple of years ago when when brady was on the patriots uh, but this time it goes the other way in my view rams beat the bucks likewise go on to the super bowl against the bills and i have them winning the super bowl over the bills so matthew stafford becomes the the missing piece that takes that offense to a new level and allows the rams to get over the top with their great defense I don't like when this happens, but I have to agree with you. I have the Rams, <laughs> I have the Rams beating the Bills as well. So um, uh, if, if we both get the Rams and Bills there, then um, the Matthew St- Stafford fan base is going to be happy and, and the Bills are going to go on to another Super Bowl loss. That's right. I know that, that'll be rough. Yeah, I'd have a fifth loss on their record there. But we'll see. 
you know, it, it does feel a little uncomfortable having the same prediction here. And, you know, we'll, we'll, there's always some surprises with the NFL. So I'm sure we'll have plenty of things we get wrong. Maybe a few will get right and we'll have fun keeping track of it along the way. Exactly. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks as always for listening. Please remember to subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget, you can contact us at democracyinamericatoday at gmail.com. We look forward to talking to you again soon.